Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of 2 Samuel, as you heard a few moments ago. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. Last week we heard King David ask the question, in a way, of, What can I do for God? He answered his own question with, I'm going to build God a house. So rather than dwelling in the tabernacle in a tent, he wanted to build a temple for God. God told him no. And also that God was going to instead build a house for David, an eternal house, an eternal kingdom. This would come through Jesus who as the son of God and son of David, being both true man and true God, born of the Virgin Mary, descended from the line of David, becomes the eternal king of kings and lord of lords, now enthroned in heaven. And all who believe in him and in his death and resurrection are a part of that kingdom as well. This is God's promise to you. To all who believe that you will be a part of his kingdom forever, as your place is in heaven, seated at his table. This week, David asked the question, not of what he can do for God, rather, what he can do for others. And he asks specifically about the house of Saul, anyone that he can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake. Now, David has been anointed as the, had been anointed as the next king of Israel, even though he was not the son of Saul, the king. And Saul became jealous of David thanks to his victory over Goliath and his other victories in battle as well. Also because Saul knew that the spirit of the Lord was on David, but that the spirit had departed from him. And so Saul made himself David's enemy, and he had sought David's life for a very long time. Yet while this was going on, David's best friend, one of Saul's sons, Jonathan, Jonathan knew that David was going to be the next king. Even while his father Saul was still alive and was still the king, and Jonathan was not going to prevent David from becoming king, even though Jonathan had more of a right to be the next king than David did. And so David made a promise to Jonathan that as he loved the Lord, he would extend the love of God to Jonathan and to his family, and he was never going to cut that family off from his love. And so David becomes king. And it only happens because Saul and three of his sons, including Jonathan, die in battle with the Philistines. After David is made king, Ishbosheth, another one of Saul's sons, is made king over Israel by the commander of Saul's army. And most of the tribes of Israel followed him, Ishbosheth. But the house of Judah, they followed David. Now, there was a custom back in these days for the king of a new dynasty to completely wipe out anyone connected to that prior dynasty. And there were some in the kingdom that had taken that upon themselves for David and started to do this. They took out Saul's family, including Ishbosheth. And every time David heard about it, 
he was not happy with these men, and he punished them. Remember, David was a man after God's own heart. And even though David makes mistakes, and we're going to see that soon enough, he did not ever seek the life of Saul or anyone in his household, even when he had the opportunity. And so we see today, David is the only king, and he wants to extend the kindness of God to Saul and Jonathan's family, just as God had extended his kindness to David. But David doesn't know if any of the family still remains. Well, it turns out that there is one son of Jonathan who is crippled in his feet. His name is Mephibosheth. Say it with me. Mephibosheth. There you go. And we hear just a, a very quick explanation earlier in 2 Samuel. After the news of Saul and Jonathan's death came to the people, Mephibosheth, who was only five at the time, was taken by his nurse, and they fled, probably because she figured that there would be people who were going to seek to take Mephibosheth's life, since he was an heir. He was the grandchild of King Saul. But in her haste, he fell, or she dropped him, and he became lame in both of his feet. Now, can you think about some of the things in life that have crippled you? It doesn't have to be something physical like Mephibosheth, although that's possible, but something that has caused you to be changed, caused you pain, paralyzed you in some way. Now, maybe it is something physical inside you or outside you. Maybe it's arthritis. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's a stroke. Maybe it's ALS. Maybe it's a heart attack. Maybe it's lung disease. Maybe it's for you. Maybe it's for someone that you love. Maybe you had a loved one who died. Your spouse. Your parent. A sibling. A grandparent. A child. A friend. Maybe it was something that was not physical, but maybe it was more mental. Concern, worry, anxiety, fear. Thinking that you're never going to be good enough. Those feelings that we go through, whether they are legitimate or not, they are certainly a concern to us and valid to us in that moment. Maybe it was debt that has crippled you. The bills keep piling up and you don't know how you're ever going to overcome it. Maybe it's false accusations, lies that have been told about you that have turned other people against you. And so you feel completely isolated. Maybe it was all of the responsibilities that you have on your plate. Your job, your family, the laundry, the dishes, the yard, your kids' school, your kids' activities, your kids' meals, your activities, your meals. 
And you're trying to balance all of these things every single day of every single week. You're trying to get enough sleep. And, oh, wait, you're supposed to come to church too. Maybe it's a combination of everything. An imperfect storm of all of the things that can happen. Whatever it was or whatever it is, stopped you dead in your tracks and you can't move physically mentally emotionally you're struggling you're paralyzed you're crippled and amidst all of this the question can be asked how have other people responded to you in these moments have they treated you with kindness Have they treated you with love, patience, understanding, empathy? Have they reached out to you just to to be with you, to be present, to sit with you in your struggles? Or did they not show any care, any compassion, any love? Did they say, Well, I don't know if I can handle this. Did they abandon you? Did they leave you? Did they become silent? Or have you treated others in this way? Mephibosheth, he was physically crippled. And he did not seem to have a great life. He was living at somebody else's house sleeping on someone else's couch when King David sends for him. Now, it would make sense for Mephibosheth to be a little concerned about this invitation to David's table. He may have thought that as the only living son of Jonathan, the last grandchild of Saul, the only one who would have any claim to the throne, that this may be an invitation to his final, his last supper. He was probably not thinking that David was going to be showing kindness to him, that he was going to be keeping this promise made to his best friend that he would not cut that family off, that he would show love to this family forever. So this young man who is crippled in both of his feet is brought to David's house, and he falls down at David's feet, and he pays him homage. He respects him, shows that respect to him. Now David went against the principle of revenge, against the principles of self-preservation against any potential enemies. He chose instead to show kindness for the sake of Jonathan. And he will restore Mephibosheth and all of the land of Saul. And he's going to make Mephibosheth sit and eat at his table always. Now Mephibosheth did not think of himself very highly. In fact, He calls himself a dead dog to King David, wondering why he is getting everything given to him. Now, dogs, back in this time, were not the beloved family pets that they are today. They were despised. They were unclean animals. They were beggars. They were scavengers. Mephibosheth considered himself pretty worthless in David's presence. Now, this is a similar interaction that we heard 
in the gospel reading with Jesus and the woman. Though Jesus is the one who first calls her a dog, she doesn't call herself that. And she, in her faith, is not asking for the kingdom from the king when she asks for a healing for her demon-possessed daughter. She's asking for the table scraps from the king, like the dogs get from the little children. And this is an image that we all can probably picture. And what happens? The children give the dogs their table scraps. The woman here is given the table scraps from the king of the Jews. She's given this healing for her daughter. Well, in Mephibosheth, he doesn't get the table scraps from the king of Israel. He gets the land of his grandfather Saul. And he gets a seat at the king's table for all time, treated as a child, a son of the king. So where do we fit? Are we children of the king? Are we servants of the king? Are we crippled? Are we even invited to the table? The answer is, all of the above. Now, some of us might have a tendency to view ourselves more highly than we ought. We would consider ourselves to be more like the king. There's only one true king. If anything, we are more like the dogs. We're unclean. We're beggars. We're as good as dead. Like Mephibosheth considered himself before King David. We are not worthy of a place at the king's table. And that's because of our sin. Our sin separates us from the king. It separates us from God. It makes us unclean. It makes us unworthy. It makes us good as dead. Because sin leads to death. Sin does not bring life. It only brings death. It brings about our earthly death. It brings about the crippling, the physical failing of our bodies. It also brings about our eternal death. Sin brings us hell. I mean, this is what we deserve for our sin. A place not at the Lord's table, but a place at Satan's table. Yet in our sin, how does God treat us? Does he seek to destroy us and our family? Does he seek to punish us? It's what we deserve. And sometimes it might seem that way, that God doesn't care about us, that he has abandoned us, that he's forsaken us. But God treats us with kindness, with his grace, by giving us what we don't deserve, his steadfast, eternal love. And he invites us to his table. And in doing so, he does more than just give us table scraps. And he only invites us to his table because Jesus has opened the door to his kingdom. And he did it through his death on the cross where he died for all of our sins, for all of our failings, for all of the times we have sought to harm our enemies, for all the times we have made ourselves king and disregarded, disrespected, disobeyed the one true king and his kingdom and his word. And Jesus endured the pain and agony and the suffering of the cross 
giving up his life for us, dying in our place, taking our punishment, taking our death, taking our hell, because his steadfast love for us endures forever. And because it was the only way to bring us the forgiveness of our sins, to bring us eternal life, seating us at his table for all time as sons and daughters of the king. Jesus gives us more than just table scraps. He gives us his whole life. And in rising from the dead, he proved that he has defeated sin, death, and the devil once and for all. And today, he invites us to his table. The table of blessing. The table of forgiveness. The table where he gives us his body and blood in the bread and wine, broken, given for us to bless us to forgive us, to strengthen our faith, to give us eternal life. How do we respond to God's kindness? What do we do? Well, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we treat others the way God has treated us. We show others God's kindness and love. We look after their best interests. We look for ways to bless them even those who would consider themselves our enemies, or vice versa. We become like David, people after God's own heart. But it's not our own doing. It's God at work in us. We don't do it by ourselves. How else do we respond? Well, in order to give, we first have to receive. And so we come to the Lord's table. We come as invited, welcomed guests. Not because we deserve it, because we don't deserve it, but because Jesus won a place for us at his table. Now that doesn't mean this life is easy, that we won't walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but God never abandons us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He may seem silent, but his word still speaks to us. We remember our baptism, where we were buried into Christ's death and raised into Christ's resurrection. And Christ speaks to us through his body and his blood in his supper, and he says, take and eat, this is my body for you. Take, drink, this is my blood for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And he invites us to his eternal table, to his home, to his kingdom in heaven. And by faith, which he has gifted us by the power of the Holy Spirit, our place is already reserved for us. There is a seat with our name on it. And it's God who will bring that invitation to completion when he welcomes us home as his sons and daughters, heirs to the true king. Whether we leave this earth first or Jesus returns first. And then the words of Psalm 23 will become a reality and God will say to each and every one of you, surely my goodness, my mercy, have followed you all the days of your life, 
and you shall dwell in my house forever. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.